Hi there, this is James Eek from the Warrior's Way podcast. You're listening to episode 72. On August 29, 1952, David Tudor walked onto the stage at the Maverick Concert Hall near Woodstock, New York, sat down at the piano, and for four and a half minutes made no sound. He was performing 433, a conceptual work by John Cage. It has been called the silent piece, but its purpose is to make people listen. There's no such thing as silence, Cage said, recalling the premiere. You could hear the wind stirring outside during the first movement. During the second, raindrops began pattering the roof. And during the third, people themselves made all kinds of interesting sounds as they talked or walked out. Indeed, some listeners didn't care for the experiment. Although they saved their loudest protests for the question and answer session afterwards. Someone reportedly yelled, Good people of Woodstock, let's drive these people out of town. Even Cage's mother had her doubts. At a subsequent performance, she asked the composer Earl Brown, Now, Earl, don't you think that John has gone too far this time? Cage's mute manifesto has inspired reams of commentary over the years. The composer and scholar Kyle Gann published No Such Thing as Silence, John Cage's 433. Gann defines 433 as an act of framing, of enclosing environmental and unintended sounds in a moment of attention in order to open the mind to the fact that all sounds are music. That last thought ruled Cage's life. He wanted to discard inherited structures, open doors to the exterior world. Let sounds be sounds, Gan writes. It begged for a new approach to listening, perhaps even a new understanding of music itself, a blurring of the conventional boundaries between art and life. On a simpler level, Cage had an itch to try new things. What would happen if he sat at a piano and did nothing? If you chose among an array of musical possibilities by flipping a coin and consulting the I Ching, if you made music from junkyard percussion, squads of radios, the scratching of pens and amplified cactus, many people, of course, won't hear of it. Six decades after the work came into the world, 433 is still dismissed as absolutely ridiculous, stupid, a gimmick, and the emperor's new clothes. To quote some sample put-downs that Gann extracted from an online comment board. Such judgments are especially common within classical music, where Cage, who died in 1992, remains an object of widespread scorn. In the visual arts, though, he long ago achieved monumental stature. He's considered a co-inventor of happenings and performance art. The Fluxus movement essentially rose from classes that Cage taught at the New School in the late 1950s. The simplest explanation of the resistance to avant-garde music is that human ears have a cat-like vulnerability to unfamiliar sounds.
and that when people feel trapped, as in a concert hall, they can panic. In museums and galleries, we're free to move around and turn away from what bewilders us. It's no surprise, then, that Cage has always gone over better in non-traditional spaces. Like it or not, Cage will be with us for a long, long time. Morton Feldman, another avant-garde musician with an eye for the wider artistic landscape, once said, John Cage was the first composer in the history of music who raised the question by implication that maybe music could be an art form rather than a music form. Feldman meant that since the Middle Ages, even the most adventurous composer had labored within a craftsman-like tradition. Cage held that an artist can work as freely with sound as with paint. He changed what it meant to be a composer, and every kid manipulating music on a laptop is in his debt. Cage dabbled in art and architecture before settling on music. He he studied with Henry Cowell, the godfather of American experimental music, and then took lessons with none other than Arnold Schoenberg, the supreme modernist, first at USC and then at UCLA. Although Cage was not a discipline, rejecting most of the Germanic canyon that Schoenberg held dear. Mozart and Grieg were the only classics he admitted to loving. He fulfilled Schoenberg's tenet that music should exercise a critical function, disturbing rather than comforting the listener. Beneath the plinking of junkyard percussion and the chiming of prepared piano was an unsettling new idea about the relation of music to time. Cage wanted sounds to follow one another in a free, artless sequence without harmonic glue. Works would be structured simply as terms of durations between events. Audiences were initially unaware that a musical upheaval was taking place. More often than not, they found Cage's early work inoffensive, even charming. By the late 40s, he had acquired a reputation as a serious new musical voice. As randomness took over, so did noise. Imaginary Landscape Number 4 employs 12 radios, whose tuning, volume, and tone are governed by chance operations. Imaginary Landscape Number 5 does much the same with 42 phonograph records. Williams' mix is a collage of thousands of pre-recorded tape fragments. Water Music asks a pianist not only to play his instrument, but also to turn a radio on and off, shuffle cards, blow a duck whistle into a bowl of water, pour water from one receptacle into another, and slam the keyboard lid shut. Black Mountain Peace, which is considered the first true 60s-style happening, involves piano playing, poetry, re- recess, re- <laughs> poetry recitation, record players, movie projectors, dancing, and possibly a barking dog. All this occurred in the 18 or so months leading up to 4.33, the still point in the sonic storm. Did Cage love noise? Or did he merely make peace with it? Like many creative spirits, he was sensitive to intrusions of sound. 
Years later, when he was living in the West Village next door to John Lennon and Yoko Ono, he asked Lennon to stop using wall-mounted speakers. But he trained himself to find noise interesting rather than distracting. When Gann talks about 433 in classes, he teaches composition and music theory at Bard College. A student invariably asks, you mean he got paid for that? Kids, Cage was not in it for the money. Maverick Concert was a benefit. Cage earned nothing for the premiere of 433 and little from anything else he was writing at the time. He had no publisher until the 1960s. After losing his loft at Monroe Street, he moved north of the city to Stony Point, where several artists had formed a rural collective. From the mid-50s until the late 60s, he lived in a two-room cabin measuring 10 by 20 feet and paid $24.15 a month in rent. He wasn't far above poverty level. And one year, he received aid from the Musician's Emergency Fund. For years afterwards, he counted every penny. By the end of the 50s, however, Cage's financial situation had improved, though not because of his music. After moving to Stony Point, he began collecting mushrooms during walks in the woods. Within a few years, he had mastered the mushroom literature and co-founded New York Mycological Society. He supplied mushrooms to various elite restaurants, including the Four Seasons. And in 1959, he was invited on a game show in which contestants were asked questions on a subject of their choice. Each week, Cage answered with dead accuracy, increasingly obscure questions about mushrooms. And on his final appearance, he was asked to list the 24 kinds of white spore mushrooms listed in Atkinson. Cage named them all, in alphabetical order, and won $8,000. The following year, he appeared on a popular American game show, I've Got a Secret, and he performed Water Walk, a piece that employed, among other things, a rubber duck, a bathtub, and an electric mixer. Cage charmed the audience from the outset. When the host, Gary Moore, said that some viewers might laugh at him, the composer replied in his sweet, reedy voice, I consider laughter preferable to tears. Radios were included in the score, but they couldn't be turned on, supposedly because of a union disp dispute. Instead, instead, Cage hit them and knocked them on the floor. As his celebrity grew, his works became more anachoristic and festive. For a theater piece in 1960, one person put a tuba on her head, and another slapped the strings of a piano with a dead fish, and a third made tea. As he grew older, the cheerful, existential had crises of doubt. Intimations of apocalypse. Darkest of all was the installation Lecture on the Weather, which was created for the bicentennial. Twelve vocalists recite and sing quotations from Henry David Thoreau against a backdrop of flashing images and the sound of wind, rain, and thunder. The proportions of the three sections are about the same as in 433, but nature makes a crueler sound than it did on that August night in 1952. In July 1992, 
A mugger made his way into Cage's apartment, pretending to be a UPS man. After threatening violence, he took money from the composer's wallet. It was a weird premonition. On August the 11th, Cage suffered a stroke and died the following day. So, that is from an article in The New Yorker by Alex Ross called Searching for Silence, John Cage's Art of Noise. It was published on the 27th of September in 2010. I have been a John Cage fan for years. Not so much for his music, (laughs) and it is music, by the way, but for his view of it, his view of art and his view of life. To me, this is all like my view of training. You have to be creative. You have to be original. You have to be open to new things, to try to see things with fresh eyes and hear things with fresh ears. Let's face it, the martial arts can be extremely bound by tradition and formality. And sometimes that's good, and sometimes it's for no good reason at all. Now, I'm not saying that we should throw away old ways of doing things. I'm old school. I'm progressive while sticking to the old school ethic and the way of training that develops all the positive things in a person. What I'm saying, though, is that just like John Cage, sometimes we need to listen to the music that is there and to see new ways to create new music. This means being bold, being brave, and not really caring too much what the so-called establishment thinks, because maybe they're wrong. If you can get great results in new ways or new ways of thinking, then be open-minded about it and try If you're training in a good school, you probably know this already. But John Cage's view of music reminds me a lot of how jiu-jitsu works. On the outside, and in many schools, all that matters is winning, on dominating, on tapping somebody out. But if you train in jiu-jitsu, you should be told to let your ego go. And to stop focusing on aggression and fighting your opponent. And instead to learn what jiu-jitsu really is. To learn to relax. To learn to defend. To breathe. To feel what your opponent is doing and in a way to let him or her tap themselves out through the errors that they're going to make bringing the aggressive fight to you. In a lot of ways, you are listening to the music that is there already, to the silence, and realizing what music is already around you. That's jiu-jitsu. That's the martial arts. That is training. That is the way. What we need to do is have an open and yet discriminating mind when it comes to our training. If something makes sense, if something is cardboard and non-functional, if something is just swimming on dry land, we need to know. And we need to know 
that it's okay to get rid of it or to reinvigorate it, breathe new life into it. There's nothing wrong with any of that. If nothing else, John Cage did exactly this. He forced people to listen to what is around them with new ears. Any artist or martial artist who understands their art, their world, or the potential of it all should have this as their prime goal. So, next time in jiu-jitsu, or whatever it is you do, when you roll or spar, instead of being an aggressive spaz, try to breathe, relax, listen. And if you do this, you'll be amazed at what you hear. the difference you'll feel in yourself and your partner and the jujitsu that will come out of all of that as a result. So there you go. Chew on that for a little bit. Question of the week is next. If I had a drum roll, I would do the drum roll right now. <laughs> do it in your head. Charlie Cage would, you know, do a drum roll with a couple dead fish. <laughs> Anyhow, question of the week. What is the most important thing to learn in the martial arts? Wow, that's a good question. One that I've been th wondering myself for 40 years. No, I'd have to say that the single most important thing you can learn from our training is compassion. Compassion grows into so many things. It changes us for the best. I've unfortunately met and even trained far too many people who don't actually understand this. I've failed at teaching people this lesson more times than I've succeeded, believe me. These are people who are quick to judge. People who care about themselves more than anyone else. People who are first to cut others down. People who lie. People who are egomaniacs. People who simply don't understand what training actually is. Instead, what they believe it to be. The absence of compassion puts the self above everything and everyone else. It blames, it hurts, it's petty, it's cruel. Now, Nobody is perfect, me included. We're all going to make mistakes in this life, believe me. But when we use compassion as a starting point for everything we do in our life and make it what our training is all about, we not only live far less stressful lives, but we are there for people and cultivate what being part of something bigger is all about. So there you go. Next time that you are quick to judge or when you're going to throw that rock at that glass house, understand that doing that, being like that, actually is counter to what martial arts is. Don't make the mistake of believing that martial arts is about punching, kicking, and rolling around on the ground only. 
It's about far more than that. The physical is really just one aspect. Let yourself become a true martial artist. One who understands what it means to become a better person through training. Not one who cuts down others or trains and only ends up with a big ego and very little else. Again, listen to the music that's around you. So there you go. That is the episode for this week. Thanks for listening. If you're one of our constant listeners, you get another gold star. Congratulations. Add that to your resume. Um, uh, really, though, uh, if you are one of the people that has been listening all along, we are, like I said, this is episode 72. That's just kind of crazy to me even. But uh, if you've been listening all this time, thank you so very much. If you're new to the podcast, thank you even more because you're a brand new person and brand new people are awesome. Um, What you can do to help out me and help out you and help out, well, the world of the martial arts and training and everything awesome in general is join us (laughs) in the Warrior's Way podcast fight club. And what that is, is we're just trying to build momentum on something, on training for more than, you know, winning trinkets or building our egos. We are training to make ourselves and the world around us better. So what can you do to help that? Well, obviously, um, spread the word about the podcast so more people can get the benefits that talking about this stuff does. Tell your friends about it. Tell your training partners about it. Tell everybody that uh, is willing to listen that, hey, there's this actual cool thing called Warrior's Way Podcast. Check it out, man. Um, The other thing is, hey, if you like this, be proud and be loud. Uh, I've made some t-shirts. You can pick them up. I think they're pretty cool. They say Warriors Way Podcast Fight Club on it, so how they can that not be cool? Uh, pick one up and, uh, you know, let the world know that there is this thing. And when people ask you, hey, where'd you get that cool shirt? You should say, hey, listen to the podcast. <laughs> um, I also started up a Patreon page for those that want to uh, support the podcast. Uh, I'm Basically, I'm throwing on videos and things like that onto it when I get a chance. And what it's going to be is basically a repository of martial arts awesomeness. Or I should say training awesomeness. So it could be about martial arts or, you know, zen or whatever else. Um, The other thing, if you're interested in uh, all this stuff that I talk about, I've written a couple books on training and my thoughts on it and all that kind of thing. One is named after the podcast, or actually the podcast is named after it. It's called Warrior's Way. Uh, Second is A Wolf in the Woods. You can search for both of those on Amazon. They're available both on uh, your Kindle, or if you have a Kobo, you can get it through the Kobo store. Um, or you can get a, you know, actual paper book as well, (laughs) the old fashioned kind. Um, 
And other than that, uh, you can look for me on social media. I don't have a Warriors Way podcast, Instagram. I honestly, you know, one is enough for me. So I have a Instagram account that I basically put everything on. Um, and it is, you can look for it, Eek Academy, just like my last name. And it is actually kind of two-pronged. It is stuff for Warriors Way podcast as well as stuff for the Eek Academy of Martial Arts where I teach all of the awesome things that I do here in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, maybe the best place on the planet. But maybe you think that your place is the best place. You should come to Victoria sometime, check it out. Um, The other thing is you can find us on Facebook. We do have a Warriors Way podcast page on Facebook. Uh, Also, of course, there's the Eek Academy of Martial Arts page on Facebook as well. So you can check both of those out. Um, And if you have any questions, comments, questions of the week, or ideas of, you know, hey, this would be a cool podcast, let me know. Drop me a line. Find me on one of those things. Go search for me and you will find me. I know because people send me their little, hey, that, that podcast is awesome. And you know what? If you have sent me one of those, thank you so much. It really makes my day. If you're thinking about it, just send it because I love hearing from all of you. Um, And yeah, it'd be great to hear from you, especially if you like it. And that is the final thing. If you do like these things, please give it a review on Apple Podcasts. Give it five stars because I gave you gold stars and leave a little review. That'd be great. And with that said, I am out of here. So, I don't know what you're doing, but get on those mats and train. Train hard, regularly, have fun, laugh and smile, and be a good friend. Help this world, help the people in it, help the creatures in it. Make this place a better place for you having been in it. That is what the training is all about. Thanks a lot.